Welcome back to Worst Seats in the House. I'm Mike Russo, Anthony LaPanta. Come to you uh, high above the XL Energy Center ice where Game 6 of the Dallas Stars-Minnesota Wild Series is tonight. Wild facing a 3-2 deficit after having a 2-1 series advantage just uh, a week ago, Anthony. And uh, I don't want to say this feels like deja vu, but it feels like deja vu. What, to last year? Yeah. Yeah, and last year, the, the, these two probably have some similarities in that I think the matchups were both very even. Wild in St. Louis a year ago, Wild in Dallas this year, as they should be when it's a 2-3 series. And in both cases, the, but they're very different because I think in the, Minnes in the Dallas series this year, I think the Wild played their best games of the series in games three and four and they just unfortunately lost game four. And it's taken on a different feel. Where last year I thought as the series went on, St. Louis got better. Mm -hmm. And St. Louis was clearly the better team in games four, five, six last year by a wide margin. And I thought Minnesota had them on the ropes in game four in St. Louis, where Blues were missing a couple defensemen, Wild were up 2-1, and it felt like the Wild took their foot off the gas. Here, I don't think it was anything like that. I think the Wild played one of their best games of the series in Game 4 and had to try to win in spite of a couple of egregious calls against Marcus Foligno that gave Dallas a couple power play goals in a 3-2 game. And if you take those two bad calls away, which were, by the way, horrific calls against Marcus Foligno, that's the difference in the game. And if Minnesota wins that game, it's 3-1, and we're having a totally different conversation. So I, I really feel like in the, the first game in this series where I thought, well, I shouldn't say first because game two, Dallas, was it was significantly different. But I thought games three and four were the Wild's best games of the series. So it, it had a different feel late. But they're in a must-win now. So going to win a game at home. Yeah, um, you know, and obviously horrible calls on Felino. The league admitted as such to the Wild. Um, I can tell you that for a fact. Um, but that was also the first that we saw Jake Ottinger start to really become Jake Ottinger, right? And even before that game in the press dining room, you almost called that game to a T. You basically said that you thought the Wild were going to lose that game playing really well, but we game hadn't four. seen yeah. yeah, but we hadn't seen Ottinger yet become Jake Ottinger. And that game, despite the bad calls, it's only scoreless at the beginning of the third period because of how many times he had the Wild one-on-one -on -one and made the save, right? I mean, not yeah. just Kaprizov. I mean, Felino had a breakaway. There were m many, and not just breakaways. There were many opportunities in that game where the Wild were one-on-one -on -one with the goalie and Ottinger became Ottinger. Without a doubt. And remember, the there have just been spots in games. Sometimes it's the timeliness of a save, and that's not necessarily a skill for a goaltender, it's just how it happens, that yeah. they make the save at a key point when the momentum's hanging in the balance. And and to be honest, those are the saves that Ottinger's made in the last couple of games of this series that the Wild haven't gotten. And there's gonna be a lot of talk about the Wild penalty kill throughout this series. And with good reason, St. Louis, or Dallas rather, sitting at 40% coming into game six. And the, the, there are going to be a lot of conversations about the penalty kill couldn't stop St. Louis last year, and it couldn't stop Dallas this year, and there are a myriad of reasons why it's different. But this year, I really feel like one of the big differences, they just haven't gotten saves. Most of these power play goals scored by Dallas have not been rebounds and scrums and odd number situations around the net. It's been a puck that just clean beat a goaltender. Yeah. And you even, the two, that, even the two in game one? Right. The Robertson goal in yes. game five. The, where make the first save, and then if Dallas is creating 
stuff off the chaos that's created sometimes on a penalty kill on a rebound, that would be different. But they just haven't gotten saves. They got saves all year. It was part of the reason their penalty kill was in the top 10 in the league. It was because they were in the top 10 in save percentage on the kill. And they're just not right now. They're next to last in penalty kill and 14th in save percentage. Gustaf- they got to get a save yeah. tonight. Gustafson has a 769 save percentage on the penalty kill. Uh, not good enough. Um, and his agent, who is shooting for the moon right now, and it's really complicated this offseason uh, for the Wild. Um, the Wild, if they lose the series, uh, despite the stats, which right now, shockingly, because of game one, Gustafson has a better save percentage than Jake Ottinger. They might have to send the tape. Yeah, to to Kurt Overhart, we'll see. Well, we've got plenty of time to discuss the offseason, but just as a quick little side note to that, that's one of the awkward things about contract negotiations. And you've got a general manager that wants the goalie, wants him to be the guy, wants to empower him as the guy, but during the negotiation has to point out every flaw that he can think of to hold the number down, right? And it's, well, but he couldn't do this, he didn't do this, he didn't do this. Okay, here's the contract. Okay, he's the guy. He's the man. He's the, You're the man. We wouldn't <laughs> want anybody else. It's those are, those are all, it's an interesting dynamic between management and player or agent in those spots. And arbitration is yeah. the best example yeah. of it, where you actually sit in front of an ar- uh, independent arbiter and have to badmouth your own guy, yeah. a guy that once you sign him, all you want to do is build him up as yep. now you are the freaking man. Let's go. It ruined a relationship in Florida between John Van Beesbrook and the Panthers once. I mean, this was their all-world goalie that brought them to a uh, Stanley Cup final and they're just their third year. And then they bring him to Arb and have to point out everything. And it, it really ruined the relationship. That's just the way that uh, things are. That's just pro sports. I always, I always get it funny. It's like, you know, we all go to a, like an opening press conference for a head coach, and they're wearing the jersey, and they're holding up the hat, and this guy's the greatest thing since sliced bread. And then three years later, you know it's going to end badly. I mean, it never ends nicely. <laughs> there is, you know, just never an opportunity in any pro sport where they, that glorious press conference to open things, unless maybe you're in New England or something, uh, is just going to end in just a horrible, like, it's just, yeah, like, think it's, about when was the last yeah. time that a GM or a coach just decided, you know what? My run here has been long enough. (laughs) I'm just, we're both going to ride off into the sunset and go. Because even Jacques retiring had to do with the fact that Doug Doug and him didn't speak the second half of the season. Jacques was ready to leave. Doug was about, you know, who knew was about to get fired. Um, But, you know, unless you were Scotty Bowman after the 2000 and um, I'm trying to think. I was in Joe Louis Arena when it happened, a 2002 Stanley Cup final, I believe it was, where he's just like on the ice, you know, I think I'm done, <laughs> says it live on TV, and all of a sudden we're like, wait, whoa, whoa, what? What did he say? Um, you know, very rarely does a, a uh, you know coach just leave on his own terms, or a GM for that matter. Um, by the way, welcome to the Aquarius Home Services Studio. We're live on location at XL Energy Center. Um, great question to kick us off here from Cam Hall. Anthony, uh, is tonight the night Kirill Kaprizov breaks out? Yeah, yes, I think it is. But I thought that in game five in Dallas, to a degree, I thought we saw him in game four finally look like Kaprizov again late in that game. This is a guy that in the first couple periods of this series was the best player on the ice. Had a goal, the first goal of the series. He, in the first two periods of the series, was dominant. He had the puck, tons of attempts, shots on goal. And then all of a sudden... What do you think happened? 
Well, it might have had something to do with a few cross-checks to the ribs that didn't get called penalties, I might add. But if you if you look at his numbers, it's it, we had him on our show. So it's the first two periods, he had nine shot attempts and six shots on goal. The next 10 periods of the series, he had three shots on goal. Mm-hmm. That's the third period and the two overtimes in game one, all of game two and game three. It was ridiculous just how different he looked. And then all of a sudden, the last two periods of game four, I thought we finally started to see him back on his game. So I kind of thought game five we might see it. Now, the one thing Pete DeBoer has done a great job of is that Kaprizov has seen a steady diet of Haskinen and Suter throughout this series. Hasn't played many shifts against him. I think that's one of the big keys to watch tonight. How does Dean Evison get him away from those two guys? And I think at five-on-five, five, if I remember right, the numbers are like 42 minutes Kaprizov's played against Haskinen and Suter and only 36 when they're not head-to-head. At home tonight, that's got to be a point of emphasis for the Wild. Get him away from those guys to create some chances here in Game 6. I think what where I think the Wild coaches have done a great job is shielding their third defensive pair from Dallas's best group. Like John Klingberg's played two minutes against Rope Hintz in this series, and that includes the games in Dallas. So I think they've done a great job making sure those guys didn't get caught on the ice against Dallas's best. But I think tonight you got to flip it, and you really got to make your focus. Let's get Kaprizov some chances against the rest of Dallas's decor because, frankly, Dallas's decor can be exposed. And they have been exposed. The Wild just haven't cashed in. Is there any? I, I can't say it, but uh, this here's something you just said just made me because I, I agree with you that he's being protected. But Brock Faber, is there any chance we see him on the penalty kill? Like, I mean, I, I, I almost dropped the F on there. Like, Spurgeon Actually, I think and, you did. Yeah, I think it was half. Leave that was, in, Brandon. No, it was. Uh, we're not going to tell Brandon. Yeah, perfect. Um, like Spurgeon and Brodine have been on the ice for seven and six goals respectively on the PK. Like yeah. They have not been good. I, I think Faber's an interesting topic, and I was talking with a good friend of mine last night as we were watching hockey, uh, and we were just talking a little bit about Faber, and I think you're going to see a very different player, let's say by Thanksgiving next year. I think right now he's still... As good as he's been, he's in a little bit of survival mode. Yeah. He's not taking any chances, and he doesn't want to – right now, imagine being the making the jump from college hockey to the NHL in January. Now make, it, now make that jump in a Stanley Cup playoff series. We're on a night like tonight, an elimination game. Can you imagine being that guy and just the – I cannot make a mistake here that might cost us the game and therefore end our season. I think he's in survival mode. So I think the coaches are just thinking, look, the last thing we need is for him to be out there and be exposed in a little nuance of our penalty kill, unless it's one of the defensemen is in the box and and you just absolutely have no other option. I can't imagine adding that to his plate right now. And, I always hate looking ahead at next year and the offseason. You know that because it's yep. all speculation. But let's say next October, this guy through training camp is playing with Matt or playing with Jonas Brodine. And then you play 10, 12, 14 games and you get used to the fact that I can take this chance because Jonas Brodine is going to be able to recover for me or recover to, to, I can feel free to jump up in the play. Right now, I think he is just keep it simple, get the puck out. 
I don't think we've seen the Brock Faber with the puck on his stick yet that we will see throughout his career. He's been really good in his own zone. We haven't seen him carrying the play, pushing the play, like I think we will throughout his career. So I'd be surprised if we saw any significant time. Maybe even if there's a second-round series, you, you might start to see, okay, now you've played seven games in Stanley Cup playoffs. You're fine. Now just be Brock Faber. I just think there's a lot more pressure on him and the team right now because of what this team is facing trying to get out of the first round. I agree with you. That's great points. Um, um, before we move on to the whole Dean, Pete DeBoer back and forth that we're seeing uh, throughout the series, um, wanted to ask you more about the penalty kill. Um, the face-offs are just absolutely embarrassing. And we all knew that it was going to be tough sledding without Yul Eriksson-Eck in the series. We've seen him for 19 seconds. Um, but Goudreau cannot win a draw. I mean, he's 23% or something on the penalty kill. Yeah. And we saw last game, um, you know, seven seconds and 18 seconds they score. Um or, or eight seconds and 17 seconds. There have been now four goals within 17 yeah. seconds of and the start of a power You know, play. and Steele lost the other two. Um, you know, they've, they've got to get better in that situation. But this is, again, just not on the center. It's like you look at the Sagan goal, and that's Brodine on the ball. Yeah, I think there's a few things in play on the kill. So, number one, face-off. And you knew face-offs were going to be a challenge coming into this series because Dallas was the best face-off team in the NHL. Then you take away Jules Eriksson, who's Minnesota's best face-off guy. He was about a 50% guy this year, which was the best season he's had in his career. And keep in mind that every draw he's taking is against the other team's top center. Not every, but let's say 75% over the course of the year. And on the penalty kill, he started just about every kill taking the first draw. You, every once in a while, Gaudreau, if, if the faceoff was on the other side or something, you'd, you'd see that. But most of the time, it was Erickson Eck. So in this series, yes, Dallas is 70%. Wilder, 29.5% on faceoffs. That's part of it. We talked about the the need of a save, and that's a part of it. And I think what – and I've had some fans that have reached out or have, have wondered about, well, why is it different the Wild missing Erickson Eck compared to the Stars missing Pavelski? And it is just not an apples-to-apples apples comparison. And it's – it's much like when we talk about Erickson Eck compared to Kaprizov. Kaprizov's the Wild's best player, but Erickson Eck might be the Wild's most irreplaceable player. They proved they could replace Kirill Kaprizov down the stretch. You can get scoring from other guys over a 10, 12, in the Wild's case, 13 games without Kaprizov. Not over 82, but over 13. Dallas can replace Pavelski over seven. And Kaprizov, over the course of the season, there were only seven forwards in the NHL that played more minutes on the special teams because he's both a penalty killer and a power play guy. Pavelski played, I think it was 14 minutes on the kill all season long. He is a non-factor on their kill. He's a power play guy for sure. But Erickson Eck is also a power play guy for Minnesota. 12 power play goals, second most on the club. Center on the power play. So don't think it's a, an accident that while Dallas is 70% on power play faceoffs, Minnesota's 43%. They're almost at the bottom of the league on their power play faceoffs because they don't have their number one center. So all of those things are a factor, but this was a matchup that the Wild had to play five on five because Dallas was better on the special teams all year. The Wild were improved. They were vastly improved. They had the best power play in the history of the franchise. It was 15th in the league, but it was the best in the history of the franchise, 21.5%. Their penalty kill was in the top 10. 
but Dallas was in the top five on both the power play and the penalty kill. It is not a surprise to see Dallas have an edge on the special teams in this series. They should have an edge on the special teams. Minnesota has an edge five-on-five. They just haven't played enough five-on-five in this series. Been far too many penalties. Some have been terrible calls, yes, but the bottom line is the Wild have to be disciplined and stay out of the box. That's the solution on their penalty kill. Don't be shorthanded five times. Yeah. If you're shorthanded three times, they win this game tonight. If they're shorthanded five times, Dallas probably wins. Yeah. Um, By the way, I've got some fantastic news. Aquarius Home Services Customer Appreciation three-day open house event is back. That's right. Aquarius's biggest sales event of the year is Friday, May 5th through Sunday, May 7th. You can enjoy... There are delicious pig roasts, lots of gifts and prizes, and even a petting zoo for the kids from 11 to 3 on Saturday and Sunday. So there you go. That's May 6th and 7th. And savings, savings, and savings. More savings, savings, savings. We're talking up to 30% off Kinetico, the world's most efficient water treatment system. I have it in my house. Salt and water filters are 20% off. Time for a new heating and cooling system? Well, how does 25% off sound? Whether it's city or well, Be sure to bring a water sample from your home or cabin to their facilities. They'll do a free water analysis while you enjoy a delicious free lunch and go over all the details. It's the Aquarius in Connecticut huge open house event May 5th through the 7th in Little Canada at 694 and 35E right at Aquarius Home Services. It's right there by the Dock 86 Furniture. I pass it every single time I go to the LaPanta household. Um, Details at AquariusHomeServices.com. We'll see you there. And don't forget to mention that Russo sent you. And we're heading into the grilling season. Playoffs for NHL hockey always mean that it's time to get back out on the patio. And I have people asking me all the time about restaurants and other cities. And, oh, yeah, you're going to Dallas. they got great steakhouses. And I always just tell them, I don't eat steak on the road very often because I love the steaks that I make at home. So I try to find other restaurants in these cities. And big reason for that is the steak selection at Kowalski's. And I've talked about the Akaushi cuts a lot. But the last time out, we went and got the their 40-day-aged USDA Prime ribeyes they were terrific another thing to if you're in the mood for burgers check out their pre-made patties their short rib patties they are terrific the only thing there's some fat in them so you'll get a little flare up and flame up on your grill so you got to keep an eye on that so you don't char them too much but they are as tasty as any burger you'll find check them out at kowalski's if you're gonna have a great night out on the patio you got to start with the best pure ingredients and for that, there's only one place to go. That's Kowalski's. And uh, here's a word from Bosch Law Firm. Hey, hockey fans. Jerry Bosch here again from Bosch Law Firm and WorkCompExperts.com. If you're injured at work, it's never too soon to contact the lawyers and awesome staff at Bosch Law Firm. We'll answer all your questions, help you set up your work comp claim, and help you select professionals who will be there to help you, not the insurance company. And with almost 30 years of litigation experience, if your benefits are denied, we'll fight to get you paid. Bosch Law Firm. The Call is always free and there's never a fee unless we obtain benefits on your behalf. Call or text us at 651-333-8300 or visit us at workcompexperts.com. Back here, War Seats in the House, Michael Russo, Anthony LaPanta, watching Brock Faber on the bench uh, get ready for the morning skate here that uh, is in 40 minutes. Uh, so looking forward to that. Um, 
It's just amazing that that kid was just uh, with the University of Minnesota a couple weeks ago, and here he is uh, getting ready for Game 6 of a Western Conference quarterfinal. Um, you mentioned penalties. Uh, let's talk Marcus Foligno. Um, it, it, you know, whether it's coincidence or not, Anthony, I mean, it sure feels like he's being targeted. I mean, anybody he, – here's my only thing, though. Like, a lot of people are like, let's be honest, this is only because he called those penalties at the end of Game 4 BS and called the referees arrogant. Um, I don't buy that. The, first of all, there were two different refs. Um, anybody would have called that penalty the other night. There was definitely a head-on collision and a guy allegedly writhing in pain. The question is, you know, calling it a major, which seems to be lately the trend in the National Hockey League. So like that call they have the so right they, to review yeah. it. right? And then they review it and still calling it a kneeing major. And what really was bothersome to me about that is that a kneeing penalty, you're supposed to lead with your knee or stick your knee out. Um, this was a reaction to the severity of the apparent injury that miraculously Roddick Foxa uh, recovered from minutes after looking like he blew out his knee. And so he gets the five-minute major. He's he's knocked out of the game, and the Wild obviously didn't handle it well. One, from being scored on on the major. Luckily, it was only the one goal. But two, um, just losing their sort of energy on the bench. Yeah, I thought it was a bad call. That's Let's just call that what it was. And I, I actually do think there was some carryover from what had happened in the previous four games of the series. I think it was... All those officials, they can say what they want about not paying attention to what's happened. Mm -hmm. Those guys were well aware. It was two veteran officials. They knew absolutely without question that Felino had called out the officials the previous games. They also were well aware of all the discussion that had happened throughout the course of the series, the gamesmanship that's been going on. And Felino has been in the ear of the officials throughout this series. And... I thought that call, without a doubt, there was a factor involved with the apparent injury to Faxa, as you mentioned, and the fact that it was Marcus Foligno. If that hit's made by Matt Zuccarello, it's not a major penalty. And it, it, I, it, was, a, it was a bad miss, and I agree with you. He, he doesn't do anything to go out of his way to make the hit. The only thing I'll say is the hit was unnecessary, and if you're Marcus Foligno, there's a difference between finishing checks and finishing every check in the corner along the wall and being Felino and then making that hit. That hit didn't need to be made. You have to – I know Billy has come out and said, just play your game, play physical, play honest. Dean has talked about the fact that what am I going to do, tell Marcus Felino not to hit guys? But at some point you also have to be smart about it that – all right, this guy, he's in a vulnerable spot. He's jumping up in the air to play a puck. I got a chance to light him up, but if I just don't hit him, it there is no call. So I thought he didn't do anything to avoid it. He didn't do anything to go out of his way to make the hit. It probably should have been a minor penalty for for a leg-on-leg hit, I suppose. Maybe you could call that one a trip after the phantom trips that you had in Game 4. But I just think Felino has to, he has to be in this game tonight, mm -hmm. and you can't make hits like that to be in the game. the The facts apart is what we've seen from Dallas all series long is rolling around on the ice as if a sniper just took you out from the upper deck. And, and it's the, every and one of it's them. Every single it, one. It of is. Them. I mean, they've only been called for three or four embellishments in the series. It should be about twenty. Yeah. I mean, even the even the Middleton on. Uh, 
Tyler Sagan cross-checked the other day was 100% a dive. Absolutely it was. I mean, it's just insane. The Jamie Benn dive that went uncalled early in the series in Dallas might have been the worst. On and, John Merrill. And, and I've... I'm a big fan of Jamie Benn. I, we talked about it coming into the series. I think he's the heart and soul of this Dallas club, and I think he's been a great player in this series in that he hasn't gotten involved in any of that stuff. He's why he's set the tone for all of these guys, and and I think part of it was by design that they came in saying we can't fight these guys, we can't get caught in all this. We got to keep it a a skating series instead of a physical series, and. Jamie, you're going to have to be the guy that leads that charge without getting involved in any of that. He's turned the other cheek, smiled and walked away, much like Minnesota did against St. Louis a few years ago in a playoff series. Remember when Steve Ott was the thorn in the side of the wild all year and they just kept smiling at him and walking away and they beat him. But I think the the diving has been legit in this series and it's been worse than I've seen in a while, but it's worked. Yeah. They've gotten a ton of calls and... Yeah, I mean, I, I don't. Raddick Faxa didn't dive, but he certainly didn't do anything to try and stay on his feet. It was smart, and then he and then laid on the ice as if he was. Yeah, he, he I mean, might he, not see, ever he sees it's going to be a call, so you might as well right. now know that you might. Right. And I'm sure. Hey, look at the moment. I'm, I'm sure he wasn't feeling good when you have when you have Marcus Foligno truck through you. Um, you know that is not going to be a, a. You know, you're not just going right. to get up easily. But I thought it was it was evident that if you get a kneeing major. And it was a legit kneeing major at this point in a playoff series. He's not going to be on the, the bench a minute later. No. Well, and I was talking about more from the Felino side. Player safety isn't going to allow a guy with a legit kneeing major, which is by definition a kneeing major. There's at least a seed of intent to injure there. Yeah. If you're sticking your knee out and getting a major penalty, it should be a suspension yeah. at this point. And, 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 Marcus and is, I'll guarantee yeah. you that – that that play was looked at for two seconds by the player safety department because they, it it would have taken two seconds to say there is zero here that is suspendable. Yeah, they did not even think it was a kneeing major, uh, kneeing penalty, let alone that. Um, and that is clear. I mean, this is a guy that got suspended last year for kneeing Adam Lowry while he was on the ice after a fight. So they look under, you know, he's deemed still a repeat offender, and they look they deem those guys under extra scrutiny. And uh, th there was nothing to see here. Um, the, the game within the game, though, it does feel like the Wild are losing. Um, you know, you, you're it, it feels like, uh, you know, Pete DeBoer has uh, made this a focal point right after game one. He first brought it up. He now brings it up after every press conference. He's doing it intently. It's usually a mic drop to end his press conferences. Um, he's he's doing it to get under not only the skin of the Wild, but get into the ref's ears. And the Wild um, have now, we saw very frustrated after game five, Dean Evitson in that post game where he's like, we're not going to stop playing physical. This is the way that we're doing it. He called it whining and things like that. He brought up the diving. It just feels like uh, the Wild, one, are being stubborn with their physical play. As you said, they need to probably at least at a minimum be smarter. But two, um, they're just they're they're not reacting well to this whole thing. No, they haven't. And this was another discussion we were having in my living room last night. You remember the the Wild series in 2014 in Denver when Colorado yes. twice scored offside. key goals that were clearly offside that got missed. This was before offside was a challengeable call. And it was the the tying goal in two games that forced games into overtime that otherwise Minnesota wins, both games. And one of them was in game five out there. Wild have a one-goal lead late in the game. Stastny's offside by two and a half strides, right? And they yep. and they score the tying goal, win it in overtime. 
And I, I remember, remember I asked Mike Yo this question, and I was shocked at his answer. And he just said, "It's over. It's we got to win the next game." And I know that behind the scenes and and inside, it was killing him that these calls had been missed. But he never let it affect anything. And I think that was a big reason why the team played the way they did. It was they didn't hear any. They didn't hear any complaining about it. They just, it was on to the next game and came home. They won in game six in one-sided fashion. And then they went out there and overcame the four one-goal deficits in game seven because I just believe it was, it was always just don't worry about it. Just play. Dean has been that guy all year. Whether guys were injured, calls didn't go your way, it was let's just play. Just keep playing. And in this series, I think it's rattled the wild, and, and I know Dean felt like he had to address it because of DeBoer making the comments where I think he was like, well, i got to make sure the officials here, if that's working to get in the ears of the officials, him continuing to say they're the most penalized team in the league, six most penalties, we knew we were going to get power plays, and we got to make them pay. And everything. Well, you have to. It, it, he had to play the game too where it's, well, if you're going to continue to dive to get penalties, then so be it. But I think it could have been left at that. I wonder if that is, if that has allowed this to fester a little more. That's my thing. Is, is that, that like, maybe I, that's yeah. seeping into yeah. the players? Look, Dean Dean planted that question in that press conference so he can answer and, and accuse them of diving. I know it to be true, and I think that when he did that, I do think it made now Pete just say, "All right, I got him." And now it's just been unrelenting. Yeah, and I just wonder if it's seeping through into the team. I don't like. I, I don't I, think it. Yeah. I don't think it's affecting Dean and his coaching. He he's coaching the same I, I way. Did, what I'm saying is, I think what you it know. did then is say say to Pete, I'm just going to bring it up constantly. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And and look, these two guys. It's interesting. There are no two coaches that have gone head to head more than these two since Dean Evison became a head coach in right. this league. Tonight will be the 28th meeting between these two guys since Dean took over as the head coach of the Wild in February of 2019, and or 2020. And it's – think about that. 28 times they've gone head-to-head crazy, already, yeah. and this will be the 13th playoff meeting between the two of them. So they know each other well. They know the way each other coach, the the little tweaks and everything. And, and Pete DeBoer's a good coach. He's six and one in first round playoff series for a reason. His his teams have he's he's done a good job knowing what was going to be the tipping point in those series over the years. Yeah. And and I think he's, he's a very shrewd guy. I mean, he is, you know. and he's a good coach. Yeah. But I, I he's think, a good blackjack player too. I played with him during the uh, bye week. Is that right? Yeah. I just and, happened to wind up at his table in the Bahamas. Well, and and I think that the the disappointing part, the frustrating part, I'm sure for Evison in this series is that he doesn't have one of the most important bullets in his gun in Jewel Erickson Eck, who he's lost. He had to play one game without he and Ryan Hartman, and you know there's a lot of talk about then. Well, we've been talking about how the Wild added depth, added depth, added depth. They did add depth. But let's keep in mind two things that I think are the underlying themes that fans have to remember about this series. Number one is Dallas was better than the Wild during the season. They finished ahead of them in the standings. They had home ice in this series. They were supposed to win this series. They were the better team during the year. They were supposed to win. 
and the series right now is exactly where it's supposed to be. Dallas up 3-2 with Minnesota playing at home, trying to force a Game 7 in Dallas. That's what you play for during the season, is to get, as DeBoer mentioned yesterday, to get Games 5 and 7 at home in a 2-2 series. They had it. They won Game 5 at home. The Wild have to win Game 6 at home to to force uh, one for the for the whole series. But the second thing is that, well, Billy went out and I think was masterful adding the depth he did, but he's playing $12 million under the cap. Mm-hmm. So where Dallas goes out and adds Evgeny Dodonov and they add Max Domi, Minnesota has to take lesser shots and hope for the best. Grab an Oscar Sundquist, grab a John Klingberg, get a Gustav Nyquist who's injured at the time and take some chances on those type of guys because they're they're playing $12 million underneath what Dallas is. So that's why when Joe Pavelski goes down, they bump Tyler Sagan up in the lineup. When Jewel Erickson Eck goes down, we bump Freddie Gaudreau up. Those yeah, are two different players. Still. I mean, they're just different. And it's not to make an excuse. It's just to point out facts that when Minnesota has everybody on the ice, they're right there with the Stars Club. But when you're $12 million under the cap, and, and albeit it was their own doing that has them $12 million under the cap, but that's where depth becomes different. The team that ha- – give Billy $12 million more to spend, and what do you think the next guy is? Yeah. you got two $6 million players yeah. that you could then say, okay, when this guy goes down, here's our next man up. Right. Our next man up isn't a Sam Steele. Not- Sam's been fine. Freddie's been they're they're good hockey players. They're they're important parts of this team. But they wouldn't be the next guy yeah. in your top yeah. six, is what I'm yeah. saying. And and the guys that you're talking about from a depth standpoint is from the beginning of the year. Like at the deadline, the Wild could have gone after Domi and Dadanoff and those same players. But at the beginning at of the, the year, beginning they had to go get couldn't. Sam Steele right. and those guys. And um, and even at the deadline, I'd say that you know they you couldn't fire a you couldn't take a huge shot early when some of those other deals were being made because yeah. you just didn't know yet. Now, they were able to wait till the deadline because at that time they were healthy. But so now you're take, But even then, think about the fact that you were limited to shots at guys that didn't have term left on their contract. Yeah. You could only go after the 5 or $6 million player if he was a pending free agent. So even that limited your scope because there were some guys out there that – Okay, well, we'd love to take a shot at this guy, but he's got next year on his deal that we Rock can't Besser afford. Is a good example and, there, right? So there were they were limited, where some of the other teams, and don't think that doesn't play a part in negotiations when you're calling another team and they know this is the only guy you can get, as opposed to let's say Dallas saying, "Hey, we're we're looking at Dadanov." Well. We're looking at Domi. Well, if that doesn't work, we could go take a shot at Brock Besser instead, and that the other team knows that. So the, these teams knew that that Garen was limited in who he could go try and acquire because it had to be an expiring contract. And the irony that one of the reasons they're twelve point seven under the cap is Ryan Suter, who's playing pretty well the series he's despite been, the uh, yeah, turmoil. It, right, that he's, he's been good. In this and, and look, don't think he didn't know exactly what he was doing early in the series. And that's the that actually. Is the, I, I will say this though: he is beyond shocked. At, I think at the reaction here in Minnesota. I'm, I'm yeah, sure it's very painting disappointed. Him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I really and blaming people. That uh, right for a living and not not exactly him, you know, like like wild fans wouldn't have noticed if he yeah. cross checked their star. Now here's 20, the 20 and times so this, games one and two. There's two aspects to this. I think is that number one, 
credit to Ryan Suter in that he knew exactly what he was doing. He knew that he could knock Kirill Kaprizov off his game. I'm not saying he was trying to hurt him, trying to injure him, but he for sure knew it was going to hurt him. I'm going to give you a pretty good cross-check just below the ribs. I know it's not going to be called, or I think it's not going to be called. And and it's worked. He's, to his credit, he's knocked a couple wild players, including the, the biggest superstar in the wild roster, off their game in this series. But then when you think about it, you mentioned irony. I think that's the irony here, is we're talking about a series that has included some of the most phantom penalty calls that I can recall in playoff series that have swung the series significantly, and yet he hasn't been called for one of those. It's crazy. Didn't get called for the vicious cross-check in front of the net that clearly has changed Kaprizov's game. The one entering the zone, that for the puck is nowhere close, and he turns and cross-checks the guy and it goes undetected. His high stick in his own zone that knocked the puck down, make it three four nothing. officials on the ice miss, and I know Dean couldn't challenge it. We talked about that on the broadcast. He would have lost the challenge if he did because it's only challengeable if it's a missed stoppage in the offensive yeah. zone. Well, but, they wouldn't have even allowed him to challenge. They, but, so he wouldn't have lost. But I'm saying it. he couldn't challenge it, but four officials still missed it. Yeah. All four officials missed it. And, and now, that's why the Wild were so flat-footed coming into the zone. Look at Spurgeon. Right. He stopped. He stopped. And, and, yeah. Right, exactly. But and it's just the, the, the calls that have been missed are stupefying compared to the ones that then they, they're calling. The game, what was it, game four, they call nothing almost the whole night and then make the two calls against Felino that are like, with what you've allowed to go on all night, why would you think, you better be damn sure that you've seen it at that point. The, and, and to be honest, they missed calls against, the Dodonov interference call was just as bad as the Felino interference call in that game. The trip, that they called against Hockenpah, which you know, albeit it was too late to call it. That was that was a referee left. who realized he screwed up the right. second Felino penalty, saying, "I'm going to, I'm going to on the game sheet show that the Wild had more power plays than well, them." And like, yeah, I missed one that way yeah. too. And it's just now, ridiculous. And Minnesota did cash in on that one. They did score a power play goal to cut it to one. Can you then, actually imagine if Marcus Johansson scores with six seconds left? Now it's DeBoer-like. We're right. going crazy. He would have been going crazy. And so there are, to Dallas's credit, they've made Minnesota pay when these calls have gone Dallas's way. Minnesota hasn't done enough to make Dallas pay because they've they have missed some the other way. And it's hard to fault Minnesota's power play. It's at twenty percent in the series. And if you had said coming in, your power play is going to be in the twenty to twenty-five percent range. They're ninth in the league among power play teams. That's right in the middle of the pack. You'd probably have said that's enough, but they just they the fact that Dallas has cashed in at forty percent has been different. It's spring. The weather is getting nicer. The spring selling season is here. Skip the spring cleaning. Get straight to the spring selling. Be proactive and take action today, even if you're not quite ready to sell your home, so you can be better informed and ready to move forward when the time is right. More people are moving again as interest rates have stabilized. Sell your home stress-free with a guaranteed offer from Chris Lindahl Real Estate. There are no showings, no decluttering, no repairs, and no stress. It's the easy way to sell your home. They keep you in control so you can sell your home fast. You can pick your closing date and move when it's convenient for you. To find out what your guaranteed cash offer would be, there's no obligation. Go to chrislindahl.com and call 763-401-SOLD. Close with confidence and start packing. Terms and conditions apply, and here's a word from Royal Credit Union. 
Open a smart checking account at Royal Credit Union and enjoy a $250 bonus. Royal Smart Checking has no monthly fees and no minimum balance requirement. See offer details and exclusions and open your account today at rcu.org slash checking bonus. Insured by NCUA. As the Stanley Cup playoffs continue, there's no better place to watch games than at most Tavern at the Ice House at Fogarty Arena. It's a tremendous place to watch games. Great TVs, solid bar setting, and a good menu as well. You'll enjoy it. It's a great place to go watch the games hopefully watch in the wild into the second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. We'll see what happens in the next week. But when you go there, I love the pastrami sandwich. Check that out. But they got a, a solid chicken sandwich as well. I got a buddy who went out there the other night to to watch the wild play in Dallas and came back and said he loved the sandwich. So check it out. It's Moe's Tavern at the Ice House at Fogarty Arena. It's a great place to watch Stanley Cup playoff games. Back here, Worst Seats in the House, Mike Russo, Anthony LaPanta. Stay tuned to our social media to find out our two live shows next month as well. Um, it'll probably be in the second half of May, uh, and uh, we'll see what's going on. Let's talk about uh, get to some Twitter questions here. Um, good one from EK Singer wants to know, I know you've covered other teams. What is it going to take to really get Hone inspire that killer instinct that the Wilds seem to lack at crucial moments? I completely agree with her. I, I, I just think this team um, just sometimes lacks that, Anthony. I mean, Game 4 is a great example. Game 5, not dealing with adversity. Letting a letting losing Marcus Flino sort of destroy the whole game, I think I think that is on the leadership of this team. Boy, I had I I haven't watched one game all year feeling like they lacked a killer instinct. I think they've they've certainly failed to. They swing sure do the, in the playoffs, though. Yeah, I don't know. I I disagree. I think the the I thought game five. Third period was the first time they looked like they just didn't have the energy to, and energy is a strong, uh, maybe a strong word, but once Push Dallas back. scored the third goal, I just didn't, I felt like it looked like they were out of gas. And maybe part of it was the, the, the mental letdown early from that game. Remember how that game started. Steele has a breakaway, and then Felino gets the five-minute in game. They score a power play goal. All that happened in the first three and a half minutes of the game. Right. And and I, but I still felt like Minnesota was the better team most of the night. And just, but you're down two zip, and then they get the third goal, and it was so deflating because the way Ottinger was playing, you knew you weren't going to score three. That was the first time I felt like it looked like they didn't have enough gas in the tank, enough pushback. But the rest of the time, I, I think they've. It certainly hasn't been a lack of killer instinct. It's been a, a lack of ability to beat Ottinger, for sure. It's been a lack of ability to kill a penalty, uh, to win a faceoff at a key time. But I don't think it's a killer instinct in any way. I, I think they've – the maybe the one example I can think of over the last few years is game four in St. Louis last year where they had a chance then to put the hammer down – and they got away from playing the game the same way they had played it in games two and three. Yep. That's maybe, and I don't know if killer instinct's the right term for that, but that's about the only time where I'd say they didn't, they didn't feel they had a team on the ropes that was missing some guys, and they were in command of the series. They had Barubi changing lines, changing goaltenders. That's where if you keep playing the game the same way and just stay disciplined, stay committed, you probably win that game and win the series. That might be maybe that's killer instinct, but in this series, I don't think that's been the case at all. I, I think it's just been it's you're facing a good team, a team that's been really good yeah. on the power play all year, 
that's scored on the power play at key times in this series. I got to think, though, that the, that the organization is really disappointed with the play so far of some of their big guys. Uh, not just Kaprizov and Boldy, but I'm talking Spurgeon and Brodeen and, and those type of players. Uh, you know, I, I just I, I, I can't imagine. I mean, just look at the metrics. Spurgeon's having a terrible series. Same thing with Broads. I mean, it's just... Yeah, and those guys, they I don't think they've been at their best, for sure. And they are facing one of the best lines in the conference on a nightly bay. They're playing, and that's what they're supposed to do. That's what they've done all year. But they've done a decent job against the Robertson, Hintz, and Pavelski, and then Sagan line. When you look at what those guys have done, even strength, Robertson doesn't have a point. And yes, Hintz has had a big series, but a huge chunk of that's been on the power play. And Sagan's got four power play goals. It isn't, it, it isn't like that line's been chewing them up at even strength. The, the Domi, Delandria, and Marchment line didn't have a point until game five. So, you know, those guys, have, they haven't been as sharp as they've been during the regular season, but they've also done a pretty good job against Dallas's big guns. If you just, when you look at what's happened in this series at even strength, which I, that's really where you have to evaluate those guys, is what have they done at even strength? And they've been fine. They haven't been, I wouldn't say any of them have been great, I'm talking about the defensemen, mm-hmm. but they've been fine, yeah. and the scorers have to score. You can't win this series if Kaprizov has one point and no points at even strength, and Boldy has no goals. You weren't going to win this series. By the way, uh, speaking of leadership, uh, wait to people read some of Matt Dumba's comments uh, that'll be in the Athletic coming up about the leadership of yesteryear. <laughs> some subtle shots at the leadership of yesteryear uh, in there. Um, Anyway, uh, Paul asks, uh, is it possible at, uh, at all for the Wild to bring back Nyquist? Um, we're going to have Joe Smith, uh, Shana Goldman, and myself are doing a big roster analysis uh, soon after the season ends. Hopefully that you read that in two weeks or four weeks as opposed to uh, Monday. Um, but um, but uh, it's going to be very hard. I mean, the Wild basically have $10 million and 11 free agents. Um, and as I've mentioned, this Gustafson thing is becoming problematic where they're going to have to figure out either way to sign him. You know, maybe you you choose arbitration with him again and they, you just sign him to another one-year deal and let the arb, uh, you know, the arbitrator come up with the deal um, or gives you, at least buys you more time to continue to negotiate. Um, he's an offer sheet risk as well. Or you could trade him knowing that Jesper Wallstedt's coming from behind. Um, so that's going to be really interesting. Um, obviously, Addison is getting traded this offseason. We'll see what happens with Goligoski if they can um, trade him or if, if for some reason he retired. Uh, that would free up $2 million and give you a little more wiggle room. But, you know, they want to bring back Reeves. I don't know if the series changes that because Reeves to me has been a pretty non factor. Um, but uh, Johansson is somebody to love back, Nyquist, but these guys are not going to play here for a million bucks. So they have no. Cap space. You got to resign Brandon Duham. Mason Shaw is the one interesting one where I wonder if you can go to him and say, "Hey, we're not going to QO you. We sign a AHL deal until you're ready to come back, and then we'll turn that AHL deal back into an NHL deal." Um, that's something that could potentially happen. I got to think Steele's gone, Klingberg's gone, Dumba's gone, Sunquist is gone. Um, but those are the big things that they have to decide. Their number, their number five, six, seven D could all be different next year. Um, Anthony, because if you, you know, Faber replaces Dumba, okay, so there's, now you, let's see what happens, like if Goose leaves, um, you know, Addison's gone, you trade maybe John Merrill, but you got to replace these guys, Um, he's got one, two left. Um, Yeah, one of Goligoski or Merrill will be here at least, 
Yeah. I think one of those two guys, maybe both, but at least one of the two is going to be here. And so then that means you. Because that's the thing. It's like even if those guys left, you have to replace them. You have to replace them with somebody. So, you know, you're not exactly saving a ton of money. Right. So that's, no. Yeah. And I, I think all the other questions, there's, there are so many variables that are, it's 100% speculation on our part. And there's pl- going to be plenty of time to debate all that during the summer. But it, it, and even then, it's, it, we could guess and say, all right, well, yeah, Marcus Johansson, he keeps talking about how he's tired of moving around. He's, he's moved, what, six times in the last four years and would like to stay in one place. So can you get him to say, look, we can get you the money, but it's got to be over three years instead of two in order to get the AAV down. Makes sense to me, makes sense to us, but we don't know for sure if he's going to be willing to do that. Will Ryan Reeves take a, a million bucks to come back? They seem to want him to come back, but you can't afford to pay him more than that. Will he, is he willing to do that? I don't know. And Addison, to me, has more value to somebody else than he does to Minnesota, so it seems logical to to make a trade to get anything in return that that might help you more than he's willing that he's likely to help here. Nyquist, who knows? I I haven't had a chance to really get a chance to talk to him much at all. I gotta believe somebody's going to offer him more money than Minnesota can probably afford, but who knows? And uh, you know that there's just so many pieces that until you know what, even Gus, who knows what he might demand, and who knows what he might be willing to take. And there's always that trade-off between can you extend the term to get him the same amount of money but spread it out and Gus is young enough where maybe he's willing to take a little bit of a, a one extra year still he's going to be a free agent at a very young age where if he continues to prove himself you just don't know but it, th- there's so many things that that we'd just be guessing and it would be wild speculation at this point let's just let's focus on game six and see if yeah. we can get to Dallas this weekend because I wouldn't mind going back one more time Yep. Uh, Mike Adelman, though, uh, he wants to end the series. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, he said, with how much priority Garen has made on special teams at the end of his last season, is Dean's job in jeopardy if the Wild lose this season, this series, especially with the way the games have transpired? I would say absolutely not, but I will not say the same thing about an assistant coach or two. Um, you know, I, I get why fans are asking this question. If the Wild don't get past this round, this will be the fourth time under Dean, if you include the bubble, that they don't get past round one. Um, but I, after signing a three-year extension and this being year one, it's just I just don't see them, yeah, you know, going and, that route. But and Billy's co- well aware yeah. of how much this penalty kill is affected by taking Erickson Eck away. Right. And I'm not saying and that Shaw. it should be and Shaw. And I'm not saying it should be like, look, without this guy, you can't kill a penalty. That absolutely not. But the Wild have been in chase mode on the kill. So often, and a big part of it is that we talked about it earlier, they can't seem to win a faceoff when shorthanded. Erickson Eck changes that. And Mason Shaw has been a huge part of what was a very good penalty kill. They haven't been able to be as aggressive on the kill because they're immediately in turtle shell defend mode. So I think there's a little combination. I think they, they have to find a way to be more aggressive on the kill. It's what they were all year. But human nature is that, uh-oh, here we go. They won the faceoff. They got the puck again. And let's not forget, as I meant, this was one of the elite power plays in the NHL this year. They were going to be a hand, they were almost 30% for much of the year. So this was going to be a difficult task on the kill. And I don't think it's going to be as simple as 
We made a point of emphasis the penalty kill. It didn't get better in the playoffs. Therefore, the head coach is gone. I just, I just yeah. don't think that's. I don't think there's any chance that that happens. But I also know, and you do too, that Billy is a no excuses, no BS get it done guy yeah. and the penalty and, and, kill was yeah. not better in this year's playoff at least so far yeah and that question will be asked and it'll be okay we were better all season but what was different in the playoffs why was it different in the playoffs and it can't just be eric snack as the reason because their power play their penalty kill stunk last postseason eric snack was part of it until i'm just saying but it was better this six. year during the playoff yeah, during the regular yeah. season no I, i'm just and, saying to your no excuse yeah. thing like he's there's no way he's just going to put everything on eric snack yep. not being out here and um, rightfully so yeah a couple more questions uh uh by the way, let's see. Um, let's get a good one. Uh, somebody asked about Gus Orfsheet. We'll wait for that. Uh, Josh wants to know, do you, do you have a say in who you're going to cover uh, for the Athletic after this weekend? I th- assume that's a shot saying the Wild are going to lose the series. Um, I'll probably take next round off to put to bed the Wild if, if, if for some reason they do lose the series, and then I'll uh, probably cover the third and fourth rounds. We'll see. Uh, depends. If, if the Dallas Stars wind up in the Western Finals, I'll probably skip that. I've, I've had my fill of their fans for, forever, frankly. Well, um, it's a little different for me because if the if the Wild advance, we'll do pre- and post-game coverage, but all the television coverage becomes national. So uh, I'm not positive we'd do pre-games, but we have in the past. We would always do post-game shows no matter what. So for me, it would be a, either post-game shows yeah. for the Minnesota Wild or else Minnesota Twins baseball. So that's... Uh, um, Those are my two options. A uh, question is uh, from Matt Anderson. Who are the contenders for GM of the year? Is Billy Guerin one of them, even though I bet $100 he couldn't care less about it? Um, th- that's the one uh, thing that I think that the votes come in during the playoffs or after the playoffs. So that if the Wild bow out in the first one- round, that could hurt them. But if you're going by regular season, I think absolutely. Don Sweeney, Boston. Um, Ron Francis, Seattle, has to be one that, that uh, has a chance as well. Um, so we'll see uh, there. Um, 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 how about that series? Here's a good one. How, about, see, how about that series, yeah. though? Just as a side note, that it, it felt to me once Colorado had taken a 2 1 lead in the series, that it was all right. Now they're just going to put that. They coasted through the first three games and they were up 2 to 1. And in game four, it, when it went to overtime, I, I was watching the game and just thought, this is where Colorado just, they find a way to score this goal in overtime. They go up 3-1 in the series, and it's lights out. And Seattle won that game in overtime. And then r- Seattle, they really whooped them in game five in Denver. Seattle was the better team from the start to finish of that game. And, yeah, there were a couple, It which crazy how many series you talk about right now. And, you, and one of the first topics is the bad calls by officials and there were a couple in that game but bottom line is they won in denver in game five they got a chance to close out the champs in seattle in game six which if that happens minnesota could potentially open the second round at home if yeah. they find a way to win i couldn't this believe how tired and bad nathan mckinnon looked in the third period the other night um how about uh rick bonus going ballistic after the game uh, just ripping on his players an injury riddle winnipeg jets team just ripping on the leadership and the best players not being their best players. That sounded like a coach who almost thinks that I'm not going to be back or that all those leaders will be gone. Yeah, I, I think it's more that, that yeah. there's going to be some major changes in Winnipeg. And keep in mind, we talked all year about the fact that they overachieved early. 
banked enough points where it, we kept saying, well, there's almost no way they're going to miss. Then they almost missed because, frankly, their leaders did nothing down the stretch. And they found a way to get the ship back above water late in the year and, and get into the playoffs. But it was a foregone conclusion that that series wasn't going to go their way. But it was kind of in the same spot the Seattle-Colorado series was where they rallied from down four to get a game into OT but then lost it. And once they lost that game, it was clear Vegas was going to win the series. Councilman uh, Jim Baskin, Jason Baskin asks, uh, he goes, Wild have won both games on the night, days that you've done podcasts. Will you do a pregame seven podcast if this good luck continues? You say uh, karma and jinxes aren't no, no, real. No, no, I believe karma's real. I Jinxes aren't real. So the I believe in karma. We can do it. Well, for sure, if there's a game seven, we will do a preview of that game the for pro- a podcast. The problem with that is, first of all, then we'd have to make uh, Brandon work on a Sunday. And the other problem yeah, with that is that it's probably going to be much a, about Brandon. It's gonna be an afternoon game. Uh, so, like, you know, we got to give people time to well, listen yeah, to the but podcast. We could, we could do a podcast Saturday morning before we go to Dallas. All right. To like preview tomorrow, game like seven. Like meeting tomorrow morning? Yes, tomorrow Saturday. Yeah, I guess we'd have to. Right, yeah, I guess. I we'd, guess. We'd ha- there has to be a preview. Maybe we do it at seven. the airport before, because I assume availability will be at the airport. Maybe we'll just uh, do it. Before. You get there early instead of your ten minutes before the flight. I, I so, am, at some point you have to be inconvenienced to do the show. I can uh, get there. A little you don't early. think this was an inconvenience? <laughs> uh, um, we can do. Yeah, there will be a there will be a Saturday morning. We're seats in the house recorded so that you have proper ammunition to get ready for a Game 7 from Dallas. Um, just looking at the ice here, uh, I think, yep, I see Ryan Hartman. I'm not sure about Matt Zuccarello right now. Um, we're way, way up. So uh, Yeah, welcome to the world of trying to call play-by-play from up here. Yeah, but at least they have numbers uh, when you do it. But you're right, we are way high. Um, hey, I just wanted to, um, you know, end on a, a serious note. Um, Chuck Carlton, the longtime Dallas mo- Morning News sports writer, used to work cover the Red Wings uh, for Booth um, newspapers. Um, um, passed away the other day in his hotel room, covering game, covering this series here in St. Paul. Um, he had a medical emergency in, in uh, the press box here in Game Three, and then uh, passed away in his hotel room. He's somebody that I've known for uh, 25 years, and um, just want to wish his wife and his daughter. And all his friends and family, um, all the best. Um, horrible loss. Uh, really, really sad about that. Um, maybe we'll be doing a podcast tomorrow, Anthony. Uh, this has been another good, uh, real fun podcast from the uh, virtual area of the Aquarius Home Services studio here at XL Energy Center. Thanks to our incredible sponsors, uh, Aquarius Home Services, your installers of Connecticut water treatment systems, plumbing, heating, and cooling. Kowalski's Bosch Law Firm. Uh, Chris Lindahl Real Estate, Royal Credit Union, and Moe's Tavern. Thanks, everybody. So much coming out, there's nothing going in. I know that you feel like you're never going to win. Oh, but the world won't forgive a winner. Brandon, don't edit this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't care all that much about Brandon. Leave that in, Brandon.